Folks, back in 1971, much of you guys weren't even alive in 1971, but the university, Stanford University conducted an experiment in, in, in the human response to their environment. And here's what they did. That, that, that Stanford University study, it solicited volunteers who would be willing to serve 14 days simulating the effects of a prison environment. And so what happened, they put this advertisement out and it says, we need people that would be willing on this college campus to come to a place that we're going to simulate a prison environment. Maybe there's somebody in here that you didn't have to simulate it. You've done some time or you've been in jail or whatever else. You can imagine what they were looking for. And so it says they called these people together and 70 college-age young men answered that advertisement and they were all then subjected to a series of these rigorous psychological examinations. And so at the end of this time, these examinations, these young men were chosen and they were chosen upon uh, the qualifying tests that were designed to identify the most normal people in the group. And so they called this test and they said, we want somebody to simulate a prison environment, but we don't want these hardcore thugs. We don't want anybody that's got some issues. What we want to do is we want to get 24 people that we would call normal. You know, most environments, it's hard to find 24 normal people or whoever's uh, definition of normal might be. And so they wanted this group that would best represent mainstream society and how how they would be stimulated in this particular environment and how it would alter or affect their personality over a period of time. And so what happened is they brought the 24 men in and through the chance literally of a coin toss, 12 were chosen to serve the next two weeks as prison guards and 12 were chosen to be inmates. Just simply, just like that. They flipped a coin and said, you're a prison guard, you're an inmate. You're a prison guard, you're an inmate. And they put them in this environment that had been converted into a prison-like situation. And so what happened is they were assigned duties and the rules were put in place to see how these young men, all having, when they went in, similar characteristics would adjust or adapt to these new roles that they were given. And so the results to those uh, given this study were literally startling. And so they oversaw the experiment, but within six days of starting, they had to call the whole thing off because those that were serving as guards developed this severe sense of cruelty towards their prisoners. And those that were posing as prisoners entered extreme states of depression and an unexpected compliancy to the often humiliating conduct of the prison guards. And so in just six days, folks, 24 people that psychologists called normal adapted to a make-believe role to the degree that many of them dealt literally with lasting psychological issues for an extended period of time in the aftermath that led to those changes. And it was such an impact during this thing that it actually changed the way that psychologists were allowed to do these type of tests. In other words, in six days, they became the product of their environment. Folks, tonight I want to talk to you about that subject, the product of your environment. And what is it that you're becoming like? What is it that you're subjecting yourself to that is going to influence you and change you and literally begin to define who you are? You know, when you talk about the product of your environment, it's often associated, and you know what it is, associated with people who who succumbs to a life of crime, maybe because they've been brought up in an abusive home, or, or maybe they've come from an environment of poverty or drugs or something of that nature. And so what most people will do is they'll totally discount count that. And they'll say, well, listen, I had it rough too, and I didn't do that. 
Or I know somebody else that went through some things and, and they didn't turn to a life of crime. Or I know somebody that had a bad situation and they didn't turn out too bad. So, folks, listen, I want to tell you something. Many people do kind of overcome that environment. I'm talking in a, in a natural realm. And they also sometimes really excel in the midst of something that would be horrendous. And I was thinking about some former world leaders that came to mind that came through some difficult times and, and really succeeded within their field. Think about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Some of you guys have never heard him FDR at 39 years old he was stricken and smitten with with polio yet he still was elected four times as president what about Nelson Mandela getting a little bit more contemporary he served 27 years in a South African prison only to become the president of that nation not long after his release and folks listen there's other people that have suffered some tremendous setbacks in their their life they've been born on the wrong side of the tracks who overcame some things to have some great success in life here's another situation you've heard of Lance Armstrong, right? The, 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 the bicyclist. He overcame testicular cancer. Not only that, but he had tumors that had uh, metastasized in his brain and his lungs. After that, he went to win seven championships in the Tour de France bike race. How about James Robinson? If you want to get into the, to the uh, scriptural thing, James Robinson was a product of a rape and now has a television program seen around the world and sends literally tons and tons of foods and supplies to starving children in Africa through his ministry. And so think about some, think about Roosevelt. He, he, he could have become the product of his environment and just sat somewhere and lamented his plight as a crippled man and had never been the person that led this nation through World War II. Now think about that just for a second. Think about how many people they suffer some type of devastating injury or they, they suffer a setback like that. And so what do they want to do? They don't want to rise above their situation. They want the situation to define who they are. I can think about Johnny Erickson Tata, a Christian woman who suffered, I believe it was a skiing accident perhaps or something like that. And she, what was it? A diving accident, paralyzed from the neck down, and, and she's gone on to do some tremendous things for the gospel. What about Nelson Mandela? You can agree with his politics or not. I don't know. I'm sure what his politics are. But you know what? He could have become the product of his environment and came out of prison as a bitter person, a divisive person. But instead, really, he came out as somebody that wanted to bring some type of peace to that nation. Lance Armstrong, he could have given up his dreams and even allowed the disease to define him. But instead of abandoning himself in self-pity, what did he do? He chose to fight. Think about Robinson, James Robinson. He could have allowed the sins of his fathers to be visited upon him. But instead, he chose to give his life to Jesus and impact people for the kingdom. Folks, listen, we're not called in some type of college type of test to see how we're going to react to some type of false environment. God has called us into a real environment, into a real situation with real circumstances, amen, that are out there that want to define who you are. The question is, is what environment are you going to become the product? of. I can look at this, and I was thinking about something too when I, was, when I studied this. There was a senior in high school this past year by the name of Bonnie Richardson of Rochelle, Texas. She found herself, listen to this, as the only athlete from her school to qualify for the Class A state championships. The only one from her soul school that was in the state championship. And she could have gotten down in her circumstance as she competed against other schools with all these other athletes, but she said, no way. And this young girl, Bonnie Richardson, won, ended up winning four events and took second in another, and she claimed the team championship in Class A, Rochelle in Texas, all by herself. She was the only athlete on the team and won the team championship in the track and field competition. Now, I want that type of attitude. I want that person that says, I don't care who shows up. I'm going to put myself in every single event. 
Now, folks, have you ever thought about how we do sometimes in the body of Christ? If someone doesn't show up to do their part or someone's not carrying their weight, what do we do? We, we bask in our self-pity and we say, well, I would have done it, but somebody. I want to be the type of person, amen, that rises up in whatever environment that God puts me in and says, you know what? If there's not somebody to do it, I'm going to do it. If there's not somebody who's going to fight, I'm going to fight. If there's someone not willing to pray, I'm going to pray. If there's someone that don't want to preach, I'm going to preach, amen, that I believe that I can be the difference maker, even if it's got to be just me standing with the promises of God in my life. How do they do that? How do they overcome? Not just functioning, but literally excelling. Now, see, I can't speak for you. But how many of you want to excel? How many of you want to excel in the things of God? And so my question is, is what is keeping you from excelling? What another word that comes from that root, excel? To be excellent. Don't you want to be excellent in the things that God's called you to do? Maybe God's just called you to pray. Man, you better start praying with excellence. And I'm not talking about some namby-pamby prayer that says, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But I'm talking about getting on your face and praying until. Praying until something happens. I'm going to pray until there's an answer. I'm going to pray until they're healed. I'm going to pray until my city's transformed. I'm going to pray until my peers come to Jesus. I'm going to pray until my child repents. I'm going to pray until there's a breakthrough in my financial situation. I'm going to pray because I pray with excellence with the expectancy. Rather than just signing up and saying, you know what, I'm going to bask in, in all these things and allow my environment to dictate me. And so, folks, what happens, and the reason, the answer behind all these things is how it happens is really something I've talked about a lot. And it's, it's really coming to a place where I want to begin to operate from the God perspective. Now, if you've been around me for any length of time, you've probably heard me say a couple of things a whole lot of times. One of them is, is when you see it like he saw it, what? You'll do it like he did it. And the he I'm talking about is Jesus So when you see it like Jesus saw it, you'll do it like Jesus did it. So what does that require me to do? It requires me to see it through the eyes of Jesus. But the only place that I'm going to see it through the eyes of Jesus is if I get in the position where Jesus is. If I be lifted up, I'll draw men to me. So I've got to become crucified with Christ, take up my cross and follow him. The other thing that I say all the time is that there's a greater reality than what we see and it's what God has said. But if I want to know what God has said, what does that require me to do? That requires me to get into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to get into me. Because I'm never going to see a reality through this Word, brother, if this Word does not become a reality in me. There's no way that that word is going to be hidden in my life and keep me from sinning against him and missing the mark if I don't take that word and invest that word in my spirit and through the flesh in a state of excellence. So if I want to see it how he sees it, I've got to look through his eyes. But if I want to have a greater reality, I've got to hear what the voice of God is saying. And so the thing is, is that what you see and what you do are not simply actions that you perform, but rather they become the identifying characteristics of who you are, and who you are is dictated by the environment that you, through an act of your own will, decide to abide in. Now, I can tell where you abide just by the way you act. Do you hear me? I can tell where you've been just by the way you act. I can tell if you've been with Jesus because you'll act with Jesus. I can tell if you've been in bitterness because you've been hanging out with bitterness. If you're in an environment of unbelief, you know what you're going to do? You're going to walk around in unbelief. And so you can't tell me you've been praying and spending time with Jesus and, 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 and you're all depressed. You know why? Because Jesus never gets depressed. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? That, that you're walking around without any joy and you've been in the presence of God. Why? Because the Bible says that in His presence, there's fullness of joy. And so if I'm in His presence, what's going to happen? I'm not going to be clubbing over myself, over the, 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 the head with a caveman club. What am I going to have? There's going to be a joy inside of me. Not a joy that's dependent upon circumstance, like happiness, but a joy that transcends what I see and it sees what He sees. In His presence, there's fullness of joy. So where you're at is going to dictate how you act. And so we become that product. And so the thing that God, the, the, about the God that I serve is that He is all about putting me in an environment that will allow me to represent who He is to this world. I'm going to say that again. The thing about my God, my God is all about putting me in an environment that's going to enable me to represent to the world who He is. Now, i got a question for you. Are you representing to the world who He is? If somebody looks at the God reflected off of your life, what does that God look like? Is it a God that's always filled with worry? Is it a God that's up one minute and down the next? Is it a God that's a backbiter? Is it a God that's a backtalker? Is it a God that is unfaithful? What's the God that's reflected out of your life? Because the scripture tells me that I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm saved by the, 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 the divine influence of God upon my life and its reflection in my life. And so if I have that God's influence, there's going to be a reflection that comes out of me. But it's going to reflect who I really am. And so if grace comes, it's going to testify either for me or against me. And so what does grace have to say about you tonight? What does grace have to say about your faith or about your attitude or about your outlook or about your vision? Now, I love this. Let's go all the way back. Somebody say all the way back. How far back? All the way back. Let's go all the way back. I'm going to show you that this is a principle tonight that he established all the way back. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You want to know the environment that he created you for? I'm fixing to show it to you right here. In the beginning. Somebody say in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so here's what he did. He created an environment. Isn't that what it is? It's an environment that's not a spiritual environment, but a physical environment. So he created an environment. And he established a place that was best suited for people who were created to reflect the physical of who he was in the spiritual. I want to say that again. What God created in Genesis 1-1 he created a, a, an environment where he could deposit people so that they could reflect in the physical who he was in the spiritual. And so what he desires for us to do in this life, well, folks, we're not infinite. We're finite. We're just one place at one time. But wherever we're at, what God wants to do with us through faith, through righteousness, through prayer, through repentance, through, through holiness, is whoever looks at us in this place, in this environment that God does, He wants us to represent in the physical who He is in the spiritual. And so when people look at Tom's life, what God wants is people to look upon this man's life and they'll say, man, I don't know what about him, but God has put him in a place. And there is a guy standing right here that he might be in the physical. He may be only about five foot, eight and a half inches tall. But I tell you what, there's something in the physical that's manifesting something in the spiritual. You know what? I can't get my hands all around it. But man, there's an anointing. There's a power. He's got a breakthrough with him. He's got some victory in him. There is something. Something reflecting off of him that's drawing me to the presence of a God that saved and redeemed him. 
That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to bring an occupation into that environment that he's called us to. He don't want us just to be talking about every place the sole of our foot treads on is ours to take. He wants us to be the manifestation everywhere we go. People are saying, man, he must serve a good God. He must serve a righteous God. He must serve a holy God. He must serve a powerful God. He must serve a God who has us on the cusp of revival, who wants to do something powerful, who wants to heal the sick and raise the dead. Why? Because I'm seeing a reflection come off of this man's life. Folks, that's the testimony that he created for us. He gave that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and in the next two chapters, he went on seven times to describe this environment by looking at it and evaluating it. And seven times, you know what he said? What did he say? It's good. Mm -mm, Look what I made. Oh, it's good. Man, I made some trees, and they're good. Man, I made some animals, and they're good. You see them birds, brother? They're good. You see those fish? They're good. We may think of something good, but when we don't think of something good in our vernacular, we don't think of something that's the best. We just think about it. It's pretty good. But check this out. Good is the Hebrew word tobe, T-O-B-E. And here's what it means. When God looked at it, he said, tobe, tobe, dondox, tobe, Melanie, tobe, rich, tobe. Jesse Tobe. Now check what he said. It means the best, the most bountiful, the most precious, the most pleasing, and the most prosperous. And so he made this creation. He made this environment that was built to influence who we are and what we do for his kingdom. And he put us in the absolute best place in order to make us a product of that environment. So we could go out and be true representatives of him. So Elohim placed Adam and Eve into the best, most bountiful, most beautiful, most precious, most pleasing and prosperous environment that he could possibly create for them. And you know what? In that environment, Adam and Eve became the product of God's design. See, we only think about Adam and Eve in terms of the fall. Don't we? We always just think about the big mistakes. But folks, there was some stuff going on before then. What was it? They were walking with God in the cool of the day. Man, there were some amazing things happening in this place. Why? Because they had become the product of their environment. They were the most precious. They were the most gifted. They were the most able. They were walking in the most power, the most authority. Why? Because I know because they walked with God. They walked in dominion, it says, over every creature. They had access to every food source. Adam was given the very intellect to name every Other creature, think about that. So in short, they were the perfect product of a perfect environment. They dwelt in the midst of this perfect creation. They walked in a perfect fellowship with the perfect creator. Shouldn't that be what we do? Man, I want to walk in perfect fellowship with the perfect creator. Man, I just want to slide right into that place. I want to always just have a perfection. I want it to be a smooth. I want it to be non-transitional. Man, I want something. I want to abide in him. I just want to walk with him and move with him and be in lockstep with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Then something happened. Somebody say something happened. I got a question for you, a real question. Man, you remember that time in your life where everything just clicked? Man, it's just like, man, you were finishing the sentences of Jesus. Come on. Man, when you worshiped, it, it, the, the J didn't get off your, your mouth, man, before your heart was broken. Man, you were just, 
in lockstep with him. Man, you went out and preached the gospel or witnessed the people. It was just, man, it just smooth that something happened. Man, you'd open the word and it'd just come alive. Like, man, God, you're speaking. Is there a speaker in these 66 books? Because it's just loud and clear. That something happened. I mean, you got excited about the things of God. Yeah. Then something happened. Couldn't help but tell people about the Lord. Then something happened. Man, when you prayed for people, you knew full well that God was going to answer that prayer. It didn't matter if they were sick. It didn't matter if they had a financial need. It didn't matter if they needed deliverance or a breakthrough. Then something happened. What happened? With Adam and Eve, they chose to change their environment from a place of perfection into a place of rebellion. And literally, through a solitary act of their perfect, hear me, perfect free will, they made a deliberate act that literally altered the properties of who they were, how they saw, and ultimately where they dwelled. I want to say that again. One act of rebellion, one sin, totally changed the properties of who they were, how they saw things, and ultimately where they even dwelt. Their environment changed. I want to give you a definition for environment. Definition of environment is defined as this. It's the aggregate of surrounding things, conditions, or influences. It's the aggregate of of surrounding things, conditions, or influence. Don't get too excited about that word aggregate. All it means is the totality, the culmination, the summation of all the parts. It's everything that comes together as affected by your surrounding things, conditions, influences. If I am, or if I am to be, the product of my environment, then that means that my life and my testimony will represent the totality or summation of those things that surround and influence me combined with the conditions that I choose to dwell in. I'll say that again. If I am going to be the product of my environment, it means that my testimony, who I am, my character, who I am, it's going to represent all of those things in my life coming together in the midst of where I choose to dwell spiritually. Who are you? Folks, think about this. When we become born again or saved... What happens is that we are rescued or redeemed from one environment and giving entry and access into another. Do you realize that what happened when you got saved? When you were lost, you know what? You were the product of your environment. Because you know what your environment was? It was called sin. It was called rebellion. It was called defiance. It was all of those things. But when according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things. That environment changes. Something supernatural happens. I was a product of in my environment because that's the only place that I could dwell. That was home sweet home. But as soon as I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and I got saved, I got born again, I got delivered. What did it do? It gave me access into a brand new place that God desired to make me the product of. Now, folks, here's the thing. We can choose to stay and dwell in that place. Or we can do just like they did. Through an act of our own perfect will, enter into a state of rebellion and be kicked out of that place that God desired to be the environment to bring righteousness and holiness into our life. 
If any man be in. Circle that in your Bible. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. You need to circle this. In is such a small word, I think we ignore it sometimes. If any man be in Christ. How many people we have in Christ? I know a lot of people that want to walk with the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? But I want to walk in the Lord. Because if I'm just walking with the Lord, I can choose to exit that walk at any time. But if I have chose to enact in my will to be in Christ, what happens? Everything that he sees, I see. Everything that he says, I say. Everything that he does, I do. Everything that he feels, I'm going to feel if I'm in Christ. Now, brother, if you're just with me, you've got a choice to make. You can say, well, I want to participate with what's happening in his environment, or I just want to be a spectator. Folks, I tell you what, for 2,000 years, there's been too many people spectating the things of God, not being in Christ Jesus, not flowing in Him, allowing the Spirit of God to dictate, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Have you wondered why you're not a new creature? Have you wondered why you have the same struggles? Have you wondered why you can't get victory? Have you wondered why you can't walk in faith? Have you wondered why you're still bitter? Have you wondered why you're still walking in unforgiveness? Have you wondered why you can't let go of that addiction and that bondage in your life? I got news for you. And I didn't come up with it all of a sudden. It says it right here in this clip of scripture. It says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It doesn't say if you're in Christ, you need to sign up for a 12-step program. It says you're in Christ, you're brand new. It doesn't say if you're in Christ that you need to go get some counseling for that issue. It says all things are brand new. It doesn't say you're going to have to work it out and you can still be bitter and unforgiving. It doesn't say you can still have that same sorry attitude and that same uh, 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 philosophy towards people. It says that you're going to be a brand new creature. And that means that if you're in Him, you're looking through His eyes, walking in in His Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Why? Because now you're in the Spirit. Are you in Christ? Are you in the flesh? In. It's a neat little Greek word. In the Greek, it's also in, E-N. Now check it out. It denotes a fixed position in place, time, or state. What's a fixed position? It means one that ain't moving. Do you hear me? It says that if I'm in Christ, I ain't moving. If I'm in Christ, I'm not going to be swayed. If it means I'm in Christ, I'm not going to be influenced. It says that if I'm in Christ, it come hell, high water, disappointment, distraction. You're always going to find me in the same spot. If I'm in Christ, you may not find me up high. You may not find me down low. But you're going to find me in a fixed position at all times. You're going to see me steady as you go. You're going to see me built upon the rock. And when the winds come, when the storms come, I'm going to still be standing. If I'm in Christ... And so if you find yourself swayed all the time, i got bad news for you. Behold, thus saith the Lord, you're not in Christ. In other words, when we come to Jesus through faith, I'm taken from a fixed place of destruction. That's where I was. That's where you were. And I'm placed in a fixed place or environment of righteousness. You hear what I'm saying? 
If I'm in Christ, I've been solidified in an environment of righteousness. And as long as I stay in faith, as long as I stay in that place of righteousness in Him, what happens? I continue to be influenced. I can continue to be defined by my environment. The summation of all those things is always going to produce righteousness in my life. I've got to stay in Him to be a representative of Him. And even though, here's the even though, even though my circumstances aren't fixed, they change. That doesn't mean that who I am is not fixed. Do I need to say that again? That even though my circumstances aren't in a fixed position, that doesn't mean who I am is not fixed. Man, have you seen that guy? He's the same way every time I see him. Man, you'd never know if he was going through. Why? Because he trusts Jesus when he's not going through. Man, did you see that girl over there? I tell you what, man, I know some background. I heard some stuff. But I tell you what, looking at her life, you'd never know it. Man, she is just so in a fixed position. Man, I tried to get her mad. You can't get her mad. Man, I tried to upset that. I did him wrong intentionally. Man, and you know what? He didn't even respond to me. Man, I tried to sway his opinion. Man, I tried to tempt him. I tried to deceive. I did all these things to him. And you know what? Man, that brother just stayed firm. He stayed in a fixed position. He must be in Christ. Man, she must be in Christ. My environment may look the same to everyone else, but to me, I'm back in the garden walking with my God in the cool of the day. See, I don't know where you're at. But from where I'm standing, things look pretty good. Man, you may be bewailing the, the election of the certain candidate, but from where I'm standing... Things actually look pretty good. Man, where you're at, man, the stock market may be crushing. The national unemployment may be 10%. But I tell you what, where I'm standing, man, things are looking pretty good. Man, you may be see the world looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket. You may think that there's no hope. You may see the crime numbers rising. But from where I'm standing, folks, it looks pretty good. You may think the enemy is destroying and having, having his way with all these things. You may see people tumbling out of control, but I got news for you. Where I'm standing, things are looking pretty good. Man, the deficits might be up. My bank account may be down, but where I'm standing, things are looking pretty good. Folks, when I'm standing in Christ Jesus, man, it doesn't matter what things look like on the outside because I know where my hope is. I'm not going to be swayed by circumstance. I'm not going to be swayed by fear. I'm going to always declare, yeah, that might be the case for you, but I'm living in a different environment than you are. I am isolated from the things of this world. God has separated me from the calamity of this world. And I'm not going to be affected or affixed to those things because I've got a place. And he said, if I built my house upon that rock, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom. He said, whatever you bind on earth, I'm in a fixed position. It's going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, because I'm in a fixed position, is going to be loosed in heaven. Because I stand from a position of victory. I don't live in an environment of compromise and defeat. And so what that means is that I'm in a position to be fruitful. 
I'm in a position to multiply. I'm in a position to subdue. And I'm in a position to take dominion. Because I got news for you. I'm not waiting for Jesus to come back to walk with Him in the cool of the day. I'm not waiting for the eastern skies to split open to walk with Him in the cool of the day. If I can't walk with Him in the cool of the day or the heat of the day or the heat of the moment or in the midst of my circumstance right now, there's no way I'm going to be qualified to walk in the midst of seeing glass mingled with fire one day. I've got to learn to be in Christ right now in Christ in me, the hope of glory manifesting the power and the righteousness of God right now. Because I'm fixed. And for where I'm standing, things look pretty good. Like it was meant to be from the beginning. See, some people see obstacles. You know what I see? I see opportunities. Some people see problems. I see God's promises. Some people see trials. I see trails. Some people see ruin. But I'm determined. I ain't going to see ruin. I'm here to see revival. I'm here to see God pour out. Because where I'm standing, the, the horn in the altar has not been broken off. From where I'm standing, the blood still cries out, not guilty. From where I'm standing, there is still a fire in the presence of the Holy of Holies. From where I'm standing, things are looking pretty good. Yes, you may be the product of your environment, but my environment is not my geographical location or even my latitude or longitude on somebody's GPS. My position has been established through the blood of Jesus and through the cross of Calvary. Why? Because Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6 says that He has raised us up together and He has made us sit together with Him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I don't know where you're sitting tonight. It may not look like it from where you're at, but I'm sitting next to Jesus. I don't know where you're riding, but I'm riding with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world, the first in the the last, the consolation of Israel, and my Redeemer that liveth the day spring on high. That's who I'm sitting with tonight. Don't let this empty stage fool you. I'm seated with Him in heavenly places. And from where I'm standing, things are looking pretty good. You know, you can go ahead and go through hell if you want to. You may want to take a seat next to somebody's father, the devil. But I got a seat reserved next to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it's been stamped with a hand that's been pierced through for a nail for me. John 15 chapter, 15 chapter verses 4 through 8 says this. He says, abide in me. Get in the right environment. Abide in me. Get in the right environment. Abide in me. Live where I live. Dwell where I dwell and be where I am. Abide in me. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. You ain't been bearing fruit. Wrong environment. No more can you accept you. No more can you bear, bear fruit except you abide in me, says Jesus. I am the vine. You're the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth how much? Much fruit. For without me, if you're not in me, you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. But if you abide in me, if you're in me, if you're in my environment and my words abide in you, you're out of luck. Is that what it says? If you abide in me and my word abides in you, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll ask what you will. You will ask what you will 
You'll ask what you will, and it shall be done. Folks, when I put myself in the environment that he's at, when I take myself and I, and I allow the aggregate of all those things that I'm investing in spiritually in my life to come to pass and to come into play, and you know what I'm going to have? I'm going to have a victory. I'm going to have a power. I'm going to walk in holiness. I'm going to be able to overcome those things rather than to be overcome by those things. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. Folks, listen to this. I want to abide in an environment designed for disciples. I don't want to abide in an environment designed for devils. Do you hear me? I want to abide in an environment designed for his disciples. What does that environment look like? It's an environment of holiness and righteousness and faith and truth and boldness and love and compassion. I don't want to be dwelling and abiding in an environment that's made for devils, fear and doubt and contention and unbelief. I'm not going to abide in that environment and become the product of it. Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength. And my Redeemer. Folks, listen. I want the aggregate of my surroundings, the conditions, the influence to be that which lifts up and glorifies Jesus regardless of what my circumstances may look like to anybody else. Do you hear me? I don't care what you think it looks like. But I want to find myself living and dwelling in a situation that is going to bring glory and honor to the King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, my environment, here's my declaration, folks. My environment will not be defined by my economic condition. I don't care if I have. I don't care if I don't have. My environment is not going to be defined by that. My environment is not going to be defined by my physical condition. I might have to come out of the presence of the Lord with a limp on one side. I might have to come out of the presence of the Lord with a patch on one eye. But I got news for you. What you see on the outside does not define who I am on the inside. My environment will not be defined by even my living conditions. Well, if you really served him, then such as, oh, what about that? Folks, I tell you what, this earth is not my home. I'm just passing through. This may be your environment. You may be all caught up in this. But I tell you what, one day when all the elements melt with a fervent heat, you can hold on as tight as you want to, but they're going to be gone in a moment. My environment is going to be defined by my faith, my worship, and my consecration unto Jesus. That's what's going to define my environment. And I'm going to be a product of that environment. And you know what? Whether you like it or not, folks, you're going to be the product of your environment as well. If you find yourself walking in fear, you know what you're doing? You're dwelling in a place of fear. If you're walking in a, in a, in a, in a, in a condition of doubt and unbelief, you know where you're living? You're living right at the corner of doubt and unbelief. Why? Because you've become a product of it. If you are totally uh, discontent in everything that you're doing, if you're dissatisfied, you know what? Where you're living, you're living in the midst of dissatisfaction. And you're waiting for something physical. You're waiting on something carnal. You're waiting on something natural to take the place of something that has already been declared through the cross of Calvary that's eternally going to stand when nothing else stands. But from where I'm standing... Things are looking pretty good. How's it look from where you're standing? 
Psalm 15.5. Here's an environment for you. Who's going to abide in my tabernacle? Who's going to be in that environment? Who's going to dwell in thy holy hill? He that walks uprightly. Anybody? Works righteousness. I love that term, works righteousness. Works righteousness. Man, that's something active. Man, righteousness is active in their life and speaks the truth in their heart. He that does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord, he that swears to his own hurt and does not change, he that puts not out his own money to usury, nor takes reward against the innocent, but he that does these things shall not be moved. Man, I'm in a fixed position. I am in Christ. If I can walk like that, if I cannot cheat, if I cannot steal, if I cannot have unforgiveness, if I can work righteousness in my, my life and begin to speak the truth, I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to be in a fixed position and come any circumstance, any dilemma, any unemployment, any type of political unrest. You know what? Man, you're still going to find me standing in the exact same place. I want to give you something tonight as we get ready to close for the first time. I want to show you five people that made the most out of their environments to glorify the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The first one is Jacob. And that's in Genesis chapter 29, 1 through 28. Genesis 29, 1 through 28. Now I'm not going to read the whole story. You're familiar with it. Here we got Jacob. Jacob left after the fallout with his brother Esau. It says he went to the land of his uncle Laban. And he got there and he ran across Laban's daughter, Rachel, instantaneously fell in love with her, went back to Laban's house and offered to work. And Laban said, you know what? There's no reason for you to work here and not get payment. And he said, if you work for me seven years, I'll give you my daughter. Right? Is that what he said? He said, I'll give you my daughter, whichever one you choose. And he chose Rachel. So he worked those seven years and he kept his father's flock and it, and it came to pass that he, he allowed him to marry him. But when he looked up the next day, it wasn't Rachel after all. It was Leah. And he said, I got a better deal for you. He said, if you work seven more years, he said, I'll give you Rachel as well. Because he said, it wouldn't be prudent for me to marry off my younger daughter before the eldest. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And it says that Jacob chose to abide in the house of Laban. Jacob chose to abide in the house of Laban. Now, folks, here's the thing. The environment looked like treachery. Have anybody ever had that big switcheroo pulled on you in a relationship, in a friendship, at work? And you said, no way. Burn me once, shame on me. Burn me twice, shame on you. But what did Jacob do? Jacob said, you know what? I know what the circumstance looks on the outside and it looks treacherous. What's my guarantee that this cat's not going to rip me off a second time? But what Jacob chose to do in the midst of that is to operate above what he saw. And he said, there's something going on in my heart that I want to trust more than what I see. 
Some of you know the rest of the story. When he left the house of Laban, he left very blessed. He left with more than he ever imagined that he would have. And God blessed him. See, some of you are right there at that place. Man, you feel cheated. You feel like circumstances or life or somebody. Some of you even feel like God has dealt you a dirty deal and somebody got something better than you did. Folks, what you've got to do is you've got to step back and become fixed in your faith. And saying, God, I see what's happening. But I've got to believe that at the end of the day, if I'll just stand fast right here in the liberty in which you gave me, if I am no longer again entangled in the yoke of bondage, amen, there's going to be a freedom, there's going to be a blessing, there's going to be an outcome that's going to transcend what anyone else can say. The second's Joseph. You'll find that in, in Genesis 37 through, through 40. Now, the environment that was dealt to Joseph was an environment of rejection. Here Joseph was, you know, he's one of many brothers. He went and he, he told him the story about this, the sun and the moon, 11 stars bowing down before him. And what happened? They rejected him. Threw him in a pit, ended up selling him to the Midianites. Took him into Potiphar's house, doing a great job for Potiphar. Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to mess with her. Rejected again. Goes into the prison house. Dream comes forth. Somebody else takes credit for it. Rejected again. But what did he say? He said, you know what? I may find myself in that circumstance. But man, I remember that promise that God had given me way back. So what did Joseph do? He said, I'm not going to fix myself to my circumstance. He's going to, I'm going to fix myself to what God has said. That there's a greater reality than the pit. That there's a greater reality than Potiphar's house. There's a greater reality than the prison. And that's the promises that my God has given me. See, some of you today, your circumstance or your disappointment or the thing that you're going through has become more real than the God that holds the universe in the span of His hands. It's become more real than the one that hung upon a cross 2,000 years ago and died and rose again on the third day. Let me ask you a question tonight. From where you're standing, what is more real than your difficulty or your Redeemer? Third one is Joshua. Lord, if I just had some help. If I wasn't so lonely. If I had a wife. If I had a husband. If I had a friend. Exodus 33, 11. And the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face as a man spoke to his friend. And he turned and left and went to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, was not able to depart away from the tabernacle. And Moses is going back. I got me a girl waiting back over there. And everybody there is having a good time. They got something to eat over there. God, wouldn't I do just as good a job for you over there? Just like Jacob had to overcome treachery and Joseph overcame rejection, Joshua had to overcome isolation. Folks, sometimes the place that he fixed you to, you're all by yourself with Jesus. You can't say, well, Jesus, it's real good being in you. But I'd like to have some company. You've got to say to yourself, just like Joshua, you know what? I'm going to press myself to that tent. Because I saw what Moses looked like when he came out of there. I may not be allowed to go in there right yet. But I tell you what, I'm believing if it's that good, that there's got to be something that's going to slip out on me. 
I may be all by myself, but I'm going to be all by myself, smack dab in the will of God, faithful to what God's told me to. Nobody else may be doing it, but I'm going to do it. Nobody else may be willing to pray, but I'm going to pray. Nobody else may be willing to worship, but I'm going to worship. Nobody else may be willing to witness, but I'm going to witness. Nobody else may be crying out for revival, but I'm going to cry out for revival. Nobody else may not have any confidence that God is bigger than the economy. God is bigger than an apostate president. God is bigger than false religion. God is bigger than those things. I'm going to stand fixed, amen, even if I have to stand fixed alone. And the fourth one, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, Silas had been there at Thyatira with Lydia. All of a sudden, they ran into this woman that was giving them all kind of trouble. Cast the devil out of her. It says in verse 22 that the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore their clothes off and commanded them to be beaten. It says when they had laid stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, told the jailer to keep them safe. And it says who, speaking of the jailer, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. He wasn't going to take no chances with them and he made their feet fast in the stocks. Then verse 25, and round about midnight, See, folks, sometimes you don't really know what environment you're in until about midnight. As long as the sun's shining, you got money in your pocket, plenty of friends around, boy, it's easy to praise Him. But what about when all the lights are turned off and those stalks start getting a little tight on those swollen ankles and that belly begins to growl? What environment are you going to be the product of then? And at midnight, Paul and Silas lost all faith. Is that what it said? It said, About midnight, Paul and Silas said, All right, buddy, it's time to pray. He said, And they prayed, and they began to sing praises unto God. And the other prisoners heard them. Folks, I want to be so fixed in Christ that you can hear it. You know what I'm saying? Man, I want to be so fixed in my faith that you can hear it. Not that you just can see it, but man, I want there to be a spiritual buzz coming out of my heart and my life by the Spirit of God that you can hear. And I'm not talking about with your ears. I'm talking about with your spirit. Man, I want to be so fixed that if I'm locked in chains, thrown in the bottom part of a prison, rejected and despised and persecuted, that you can hear it. It says they prayed and began to praise God and the other prisoners heard them and then suddenly there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Folks, if you've got something in your life, if there's a situation that has been troubling you for years, you know what you've got to do? You've got to stand fast. You've got to stand fast in that place in Christ Jesus and be fixed in your faith. See, we think all of our busyness is going to shake the foundation. Standing still and trusting God is what's going to shake the very foundations of your prison. And immediately, somebody say immediately. All the doors were open. See, some of you guys are praying and waiting for God to open some doors. But from where I'm standing... He said, I've set before you an open door. God, open the door for me a job. Where I'm standing, the door's already been open. God, what about this situation? Where from where I'm standing, he set before me an open door. He may not have told me to go through it yet, but it's open. But God, I need some provision. From where I'm standing, the open door to provision is there. It just ain't time for me to go in and get it yet. 
See, from where I'm standing, there's an open door of revival. It may not be quite time to go in through that door yet, but it's there open. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Folks, if you'll move into the right environment, you know what's going to happen? Your faithfulness, your dedication, your righteousness is going to be contagious for somebody else. You young women, in this world that, that, that's been inundated with, with sexual imagery that's just made to exploit you, if you'll stand fast in your testimony, you know what's going to happen? Man, you're going to see other people's chains and bondages loosen. You young men, if you'll stand for truth and you'll walk in a boldness towards Christ Jesus, you'll maintain that place regardless of the persecution. You know what's going to happen? Everybody's bands are going to be loosed. They're not going to say, man, I want to be like that, that, that dope smoking rapper on MTV. They're going to say, I want to be like that truth preaching young man out on the street corner. And the keeper of the prison woke out of his sleep. And seeing that the prison doors opened, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself. Because he thought all the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, don't kill yourself. The doors are open. It's not time for us to get out of them yet. We're all here. And look what he did, folks. Verse 29. He called for a light and sprang in and came in trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. When you get steadfast, foundations are going to be broken, brother. When you stand fast, all the people are going to be set free. When you stand fast and you get firm in your faith and you move into an environment that's designed to cause you to be conformed in the express image of Christ Jesus, there's going to be a transformation. Those that held you in bondage are going to draw a sword on their own selves. Your enemies are going to turn on themselves. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to call for a light. They're going to call for a light. John 1 says that light became the light of men. Do you not know that a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden? Why would you take that light and hide it under a bushel basket? Why would you take that light and put it in an environment that's not conducive to illuminating the, the, the will of God and the testimony of Jesus? God, move us and fix us in Christ into an environment that's going to glorify Him. The key. And I'm close for the last time. Proverbs 23.7. Some of you know it. Whereas a man thinks in his heart. So is he. Is that too simple for you? Let me further explain it. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Proverbs 23, 7. As you think in your heart, so are you. What does that mean? Well, it means Philippians 4, 8 and 9. I love verse 8. Finally. Some of y'all are saying finally. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have learned, received, and heard, and seen me do. And then the God of peace shall be with you. In the beginning, he created an environment. And he said, it's good. When we begin to look towards and to dwell in the habitation of truth, of honesty, of justice, of purity, those things lovely to him, those things of a good report, those things virtuous, those things praiseworthy, those things that we've learned, 
those things that we've received, then the peace of God is going to be with us. Where are you standing tonight? What environment have you been living in? What have you become the product of in your life? How's it look from where you're standing? In the beginning, it's good. He wants to bring us back, church, to a place where we can be fruitful. We can multiply. We can subdue and take dominion because we're in Christ. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Where you've been defines who you are. You hear me? Where you've been defines who you are. Folks, it's time to get fixed. Both ways. It's time to allow God to begin to to repair that breach, to, to bring us back into that that environment that He has designed to bring us like Him. To stand firm. Immovable. Steadfast. Always abounding. But you've got to move into that environment. Let me ask you a question tonight. Adam and Eve were in an environment that was designed to produce in them the physical manifestation of who God was in the Spirit. But through that solitary act of rebellion, utilizing that perfect will, they fell from that place. You know what their first action was? They hid. They hid from God. And folks, you know what the first thing that we do many times is we hide. We hide behind indifference. We hide behind a lack of responding to the dealing of the Spirit in our life. We hide behind pride. And so what we do is we bring something else into that environment. We were just angry before. Now you're proud and angry. Well, you were just bitter before. Now you're bitter and resistant to the Spirit of God. And so we're not going to hide tonight. Amen. No bowed heads, no eyes closed. Just the right environment. How's it look from where you're standing? How's it look from where you're standing? Does it look like trouble? Does it look difficult? Do you see more obstacles than you see opportunities? Do you see more problems than you see promises? Do you see more trials than you see trails? Do you see more ruin than you see revival? Then you're not seated with Him in heavenly places. But you can be. I want to ask you tonight. If you're not fixed, do you want to get fixed? Because He's here to do it tonight. Just like Adam and Eve were put into a place 
an environment to physically represent what God was doing spiritually, I'm going to ask you to physically step out of where you're at and come to the front of this church. 